And now that you're vaccinated, what, what was the first thing you did? Is there anything uh, you've done that you were excited about? Yes. Um, I uh, Once I got my second shot, um, I went back to California to see my mom and dad. Um, it was a, a, a very neat thing to be able to do because uh, I hadn't seen them since my diagnosis. And um, hugging my mom, that was that was probably the best thing. Kind of difficult to come on the air and be a jerk about April Fool's Day when Ron Rivera gives us an emotional send-off into the start of the show, but it's good to hear that he's been vaccinated, he's been able to see his parents, for his parents especially, after everything that their child went through, and to not be able to lay hands on their child during that fight had to be excruciating for them. So that is very good news. Miles, good news for me that I get to spend the next hour with you. And I don't say that sarcastically at all. I'm in a rare good mood today because, number one, I love April Fool's Day. And number two, I got my second vaccine today. And I hope it was real. I mean, that's the ultimate April Fool's gag, isn't it? You go get your COVID vaccination and they tell you the next day it was just water. Like, sometimes you're just so grim. It's like, that is one of the most <laughs> grim things. I'm just, I'm just saying hear. that would be, oh my goodness. that would be what? the ultimate, that would be the ultimate April Fool's gag. I don't think that that would be a good April Fool's gag at all. I think that that would just be fraud and like that would be a real big problem that we would have to solve because it wouldn't just be you probably that got some saline in your syringe. It would probably be a problem for a lot of people who don't want to, you know, get COVID. So, okay. Anyway, how are you, Mike? It's it's amazing. It's amazing uh, how many people actually think that the vaccine is saline or a microchip nano chip designed by bill gates to track us all as if we aren't already being tracked yes. everywhere we go thanks to this damn thing right why do they need to put it in our body when it's already attached to our body all right uh, by the way miles by the way miles in honor of the fact that you are an old soul in more ways than one and hate the idea of running backs wearing single digit numbers i, really I have do. worn this I have worn this for you today, the awesome Chuck Foreman hoodie that I got from the Chuck Foreman shop, one of my first favorite players in my NFL fandom. And I, I have an exception to my rule that a grown man should never wear a football jersey except to pay off a bet, which I've done, or on Halloween, which I've done. The exception is if it's a hoodie, it's okay. Interesting. Interesting call there. I mean, the hooded jersey is something that is becoming more and more popular nowadays. I mean, I've seen it with all kinds of different teams, you know, going to different stadiums and whatnot. So uh, it's an interesting exception. But I'm glad that, you know, you get to show off your childhood fandom on national TV now, Mike. That's awesome. Absolutely. And you know what? It's 34 degrees here today, so it was fitting yeah. to break out the hoodie because it's actually cold up here yeah. after it's been blazing hot for the past couple of yeah. weeks. All right. It is April Fool's Day. We have to give credit where credit is due and blame where blame is due for the good and bad April Fool's gags that we have seen. And hey, Tom, you're the goat when it comes to football. You're the goat in a bad way when it comes to April Fool's Day gags. Trying this convoluted thing about bringing back the Montreal Expos in 2022 with a Blue Jays logo in the background. Weren't the Expos the team that drafted him? in baseball way back when i think he was an expos draft pick so there's a connection there but it's not funny sorry tom it's okay for me to say you got seven rings and more money than god i can say your april fool's day gag is lame miles do you agree with me on that since we're disagreeing on pretty much everything else today Absolutely. Yeah, no, that's a, uh, it, it was weird because it's not even remotely believable. Like if the Montreal Expos are going to come back, I don't believe that Tom Brady would be the one to do it. And I also don't believe that they would announce it like that. So like, what is, it wasn't believable. The best April Fool's jokes are at least in some level believable. That one was not believable at all, at least to me. The George Kittle April Fool's Day gag is not really believable, but it was the best of what usually is a bad crop of NFL-related April Fool's Day gags. Kittle traded to the Jacksonville Jaguars 
today. That one I like. Next chapter, thanks to the faithful for all the support. Hashtag Duval. Off goes George Kittle. He could take Jimmy Garoppolo with him. Now, see, that part of it would have been believable. That's what he should have done, and that's what Garoppolo should have done. If Garoppolo wants self-awareness points, he, he should have tweeted that he's been traded somewhere. That would have gotten some traction. <laughs> Yeah, that would have been better than the, whatever George Kittle was doing. Because as somebody pointed out, and I can't remember who it was, that's not even the current Jaguars uniform, no. man. Like, he's no. going back from a couple years uh, to before they went back to the classic style of simplicity. Uh, so I didn't think that this was very good, Mike. I'm sorry. I like what. Who, who's gonna believe that George Kittle gets traded and like somehow it's to Jacksonville and nobody hears about it before uh, he tweets out a picture of himself in an old uniform? Nah, pass. And here's the other side of it. On April Fool's Day now, especially in the age of fully matured social media, we are all so on guard for the April Fool's Day gag that we assume that everything is an April Fool's Day gag, including the news that longtime North Carolina men's basketball coach Roy Williams is retiring. When when I heard about it earlier today, it's like, oh, that's some sort of April Fool's Day gag. Like, why wouldn't you do it yesterday or tomorrow? Why would you announce anything today? Because there's going to be a segment of the population that is on guard for April Fool's Day. And the first thing they're going to say is bullcrap. It's an April Fool's Day gag. Yeah, exactly. No, I thought the same thing uh, when I saw that. I was like, man, that kind of can't be true. And then, you know, it seemed to be very, very true because all the reporters out of uh, Carolina and then you get also, you know, the big basketball, college basketball reporters are also tweeting it. And it's like, wow, I guess that that actually is a true thing that Roy Williams is retiring. So happy retirement to him. Happy trails. All right, uh, let's get into the news of the day, April 1, all of which or any of which may be fake news, thanks to the calendar. But uh, Ron Rivera had a press conference. They saw a little bit of it earlier when he was talking about seeing his parents after he got his second uh, second vaccination shot. He also was asked about how he feels regarding the team's quarterback situation moving into the future. Here's Rivera. And how do you feel about the concept of the quarterback of the future, you need your quote unquote quarterback of the future. Do you, is that a pressure to define that now in this no. year? Um, no, no. Uh, and I say that just because of the fact that if you put all the other pieces in the place and, and now you start going forward, when that guy does show up, when that guy is in the right position, you can grab him. I went through it the other way. My first stint as a head coach in Carolina, we drafted the quarterback of the future for us in the first round. Uh, and he was, lo and behold, the immediate future. I've always thought, wow, you know, if, if you could do it the other way where you put all the other pieces around and then go out and get your quarterback, man, that might be a pretty good situation too. Um, a lot of teams did that. I've seen a lot of teams that have, have, have had things in place and then drafted their quarterback the next year. Um, this could be one of these situations where we put all the other pieces in place and a year or two from now, the right guy's there and we can make that move. Uh, but we'll see. I mean, again, you just never really know uh, until you get there. And look, Washington right now. Try, oh, now, now will you please stop? You know, when I heard him, can, can we please get rid of that? That was a lifetime ago. Take that off the screen or I'm getting up and I'm walking out right now. And that's not an April Fool's Day gag. Anytime that phrase gets used twice in close proximity, Matt Casey's antenna go up. He did it earlier this week when Shereen Williams used that phrase twice. He says in my ear, oh, there's a book about that. It's like, just shut up. Just let it go. It's not funny anymore. It's as funny as Tom Brady's April Fool's Day gags. I thought it anyway, was pretty funny. <laughs> well, nobody asked you. Anyway, <laughs> the, <laughs> the Washington football team has a grizzled veteran with an awesome beard who will be the quarterback this year. And behind him, it's Kyle Allen, a guy who did okay in Carolina in 2019 and okay last year until he got injured. And then Taylor Heineke, who was surprisingly effective in the wild card loss to the Buccaneers, but you can't play like that the way he did, basically all out doing everything he can to show that he can play to the point where he injured himself like seven times during the game. That's not going to work either. At some point, they've got to make a move for a long-term quarterback, and for now, they're just going to tread water until the opportunity arises for them to get 
their long-term quarterback, but they're not going to be a consistent year-in and year-out contender at a high level. They'll be a contender to win the division, but they could bring back Heath Schuller and be a contender to win the division in that division, but they're not going to be a high-end contender until they get a true great quarterback. Certainly not. And, and the thing is, I think we all want to kind of praise Washington for making the playoffs in the first year of Ron Rivera's tenure. And it is great. You know, whenever you win a division, that's something to write home about. I do believe that. However, when you think about it, they were 7-9. and nine. They go into the postseason. They have to play Tyler Heineke. He plays a good game, but I agree with you, Mike. That type of play, the way he did it, it's not sustainable over the course of a 17-game uh, regular season now. So, look, I think having Ryan Fitzpat Fitzpatrick is good for right now. You would probably rather just have him be a bridge quarterback like the Miami Dolphins did because I'm going to say it before you do. Uh, of course, Fitzmagic always turns into Fitztragic at some point along the road. So, we, because you don't really have that right now, I think – that the Washington football team has to say, all right, we're maybe going to take a look at some of these quarterbacks that might be available to us at 19 overall with the thought that they could sit for a year, or maybe we wait until the second round. And if one of those guys is there, I'm talking about guys like Kelman, uh, Kyle Trask, if one of those guys is there and they kind of believe in him, then maybe you pick him, you let him sit in your system and you say, maybe you can be our guy. But if you don't believe in one of those guys, then you could still make the postseason with the roster as it's currently constructed around the quarterback as opposed to with the quarterback. And I really do think that the decision to add Ryan Fitzpatrick allows Washington the ability to at least create the impression they're not desperate for a quarterback with the 19th overall pick in the draft. Same thing with the Bears at 20 and Andy Dalton once they signed him. It's not as obvious at that point that you'd better jump those teams if you want to draft a guy in the teens because they're ready and willing and able to take someone who slides into their lap. But with with all this buzz in recent days, Miles, of of – the cluster of quarterbacks that may come off the board one, two, three, four, five. I don't know if there's going to be anybody who justifies being picked in the 19 or 20 spot because I think all five of the top guys are going to be gone by the time we get maybe to 10, maybe to six, but definitely they could go in the top 10 so it won't matter and there won't be an opportunity for Washington at 19 to take a quarterback so you just tread water until next year or you take a lower level guy who you can try to develop quietly and there won't be the expectation that he comes in and plays right away and then maybe by next year he could compete to be the, the starting quarterback right one of the things that i thought uh, was interesting that ron rivera was talking about was basically how he was saying you know we built the thing with the qb when i was in carolina and now i always thought it might be good to try to build it around the qb and then put in the qb later so i think that there is sort of a method to that now do most teams do it like that at this point in you know our nfl uh, history not really i mean you have to be able to make sure that you have the qb in order to really become the super bowl contender and a lot of teams obviously do that when the QB is still on the rookie contract. I mean, the, the best example I can think of with that would be the Kansas City Chiefs, where they clearly had a playoff caliber team, but Alex Smith was unfortunately one of the weaker spots on that squad. I mean, even though he was a good quarterback, he wasn't a great quarterback. So what did they do? They traded up, they get Patrick Mahomes, they win the Super Bowl one year, and now they've been back in it the next year. So, look, I, I think... If Washington wants to take that approach, it's a decent approach, but it does mean that you have to be right when you figure out the QB that you want um, for the future, Mike. And there's a good book about that, isn't there? You said for the future. That one has not been written yet ah, and never will be. Unless unless you'd like to. Feel free. Nah, you can good. have the title. Actually, titles can't be copyrighted Uh so I'm told. All right, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, so I'm told, are the defending NFL champions, Super Bowl 55, and they're still basking in the glow of that. It seems like every time I go to Twitter, there's another interview that Bruce Arians has done with someone. I mean, hey, he went plenty of years with no one wanting to talk to him. Now everybody wants to talk to him. He may as well say yes to everybody who asks. Jason Light did a press a conference. Then, absolutely, and now he's got a tattoo on his back to go along yeah. with it. Jason Light who you may remember from the start of the show talking about whether or not 
He will get a tattoo. He said he won't for this year, maybe for next year, maybe on his face, which would be awesome, but he was kidding. He was asked during that same press conference about the reality that the Buccaneers, with all of these voidable year contracts, are loading up the cannon, pun intended now, although I really didn't see it coming, (laughs) understanding that they are in a salary cap mess in the future. Here's light. There seems to kind of, I guess, be a misconception that you guys are going to be in some type of salary cap hell uh, because you are using uh, some some different strategies to construct these contracts like voidable years. Can you just kind of clear that up a little bit? And, you know, how much work is going to need to be done in the future with your cap situation? Well, there there's some corrections that you're going to that are going to have to take place at some point down the road. But it's not going to we're not in a position. We're not putting ourselves in a position where next year we have to release a lot of good players. Um, we're gonna be in good shape if we continue to just make sure that we that we make smart decisions and we do things right. Um, we're gonna be, you know, competing for, for years to come. I Look, you can say that, but the truth is they're going all in. They went all in last year and they won the Super Bowl. They're going all in again this year and they won the Super Bowl. There will be a reckoning. When Tom Brady leaves, they're going to have a problem. And I know Bruce Arians said earlier this week they don't rule out drafting a quarterback at number 32. Uh, and, and one of the things that Light also said, Miles, they do have the luxury this year in the draft because they're bringing back all 22 starters. They don't need to go out and get somebody to plug in that's going to be a difference maker. They can work on development for the future but this team is going all in for the second straight year it worked last year they're going all in again eat drink and be merry for tomorrow we will be seven and ten that's their attitude and i'm still i'm still working on factoring in that extra game into predictions of team records it sounded extremely foreign when you said it. I was like, what the hell is he talking about? And then I was like, oh, no, it's 17 games in the regular season now. So, yeah, I think the whole premise of this thing with uh, the Buccaneers and saying, oh, boy, they're going to be in salary cap hell in a couple years. Who cares? Who cares if they're in salary cap hell in a couple of years? They have Tom Brady now. They won the Super Bowl last season. They're going to try to win it again this season. We already know what these starters can do. They're all back. That's exactly what you should do when you have a Tom Brady who's going to be 44 years old and is still playing like a top five quarterback in this league. You go all in. You push all of your chips into the middle of the table and you say, yeah, we're going for it. Damn the future. It doesn't matter. We are we are playing for today. We are living for today. And that is exactly what they should be doing. And I love that they're doing it because honestly, you know, if I'm Bruce Arians, Am I really going to be around when Tom Brady's not there? You know, Jason Light probably will be, but who knows? So just push all your chips in, go for it. I love it. Well, and from 2003 until 2020, they they were mediocre. They couldn't get out of their own way. They couldn't put fans in the stands. They're going to ride this, and they're going to enjoy this, and they'll worry about tomorrow when tomorrow comes. Look, in today's NFL – This idea of a five-year plan or a three-year plan even, that doesn't work. What it's about is each and every year being its its own independent entity, and you make the moves you have to make to be as good as you can be. And when you happen to have a great nucleus of players, you, you milk that for all it's worth. And then at some point, they do have to set about the the task of finding a long-term answer at the quarterback position. That is coming. For now, that's something they don't have to worry about. And, I mean, really, they went from Jameis Winston, who was the first overall pick in the draft, straight into Tom Brady, and they'll carry Tom Brady, or he will carry them, until he's done, (laughs) and then they'll worry about it when when he's gone. And that's fine. They may have two Super Bowl championships, maybe three, by the time that Tom Brady finally walks away. So enjoy it while it lasts. Because for too many teams, it never even shows up. Antonio Brown, you saw the graphic earlier. He's the last of the eight key free agents who has, they've all re-signed. But for him, reportedly, Antonio Brown of the Buccaneers aren't close to a deal. Earlier this week, Bruce Arians said that there are offers out. It tells me that maybe there's a one-year, a two-year, multi-year, different things on the menu that Antonio Brown can choose from. But the price, not right. For Antonio Brown. And look, here's a guy who has come back. He's behaved well relative to the reign of terror that he was involved in most of 2019 into early 2020. He's won a Super Bowl. 
He's still buried on the depth chart behind Mike Evans and Chris Godwin. They're paying Godwin franchise tag money. I think Antonio Brown legitimately and reasonably wants to get paid and maybe wants to be somewhere where he will play. And he's probably waiting at this point for someone to come along and offer something more than what the Buccaneers have put on the table. I think that that's fair for him to do that. But I also think that he's got to he's got to kind of decide, do I want to play with somebody who I know really, really likes me and I know really is going to bring out the best in me? And that's Tom Brady. Or am I going to go someplace else and, you know, get paid, but also risk that there's going to be another Raiders situation where I feel like I have to force my way out by being as much of a problem as I can possibly be uh, through social media, through practice and kicking balls and calling the general manager names. Uh, I I don't know what kind of balance he wants to strike there. I, I think Figuring that out is going to be the biggest thing for Antonio Brown. It's really, what do you want? Now, I know we've heard that Russell Wilson has been pushing for him to land in Seattle. I think that would be an interesting fit, if nothing else. Um, But yeah, I just, I don't know. I I think for everybody's sake, and maybe not everybody, I don't know. I I just feel like he was so such a good fit for what they were doing in Tampa Bay, especially because Tom Brady will always vouch for that guy, apparently. I don't know if there's a better option for him professionally and not necessarily making money, but just in a professional situation in a professional setting than remaining in Tampa Bay. Well, the problem is he needs to be somewhere where there will be someone who can speak to his better angels the way that Tom Brady did and the way that Mike Tomlin used to do during all those years where we didn't know the kind of hell he was raising behind the scenes and the double standard that applied to him and him showing up late to the stadium, having his own off-campus rental house when everyone else is sleeping in dorm rooms at St. Vincent College in Latrobe, Pennsylvania. All the things they did to keep him happy when he was full-blown diva in Pittsburgh and nobody said boo about it until the walls started to crumble around 2018 and throughout that season. I remember when the, the, the problem first started. He landed on the radar screen because someone was doing an article about Antonio Brown and some off-field things, and he said something to the writer or threatened to hit the writer or something like that. It's like, wait a minute, wait a minute. We all thought Antonio Brown you know, was, a, was a, a model citizen and never in any trouble, and then it just kind of all fell apart. They need somebody who can get him in the mindset he's been in recently and that he used to be in in Pittsburgh, and I don't know how many teams out there fall into that. And Miles, another thing too, I mentioned this recently, either on PFT Live or PFTPM, and we were up against a hard out, and I really didn't get a chance to explain it the way I wanted to. He has the lingering lawsuit for sexual assault and rape. It's due to go to trial in December of this year. At some point, he will be placed under oath and asked questions in a deposition. That is a standard part of the pretrial process in civil cases. You get asked a bunch of questions. You know, I remember when I was a kid and they would say on TV shows and in movies, a lawyer never asks a question that the lawyer doesn't already know the answer to. And it always blew my mind. Like, are they mind readers too? Like, why would you worry about practicing law if you can see the future? But the reality is, you know everything there is to know about the case ahead of time before you go to trial because you've taken the deposition testimony and asked every question that you possibly could from that witness. And I say that because the lawsuit that Antonio Brown was involved in for throwing a bunch of furniture out of the window at a luxury apartment in Miami and trashing the place... He was as bad as I've ever seen any witness be at his deposition. Belligerent, hostile, evasive. It was so bad they made him go back again. And the second one was so bad, and combined with all of the other activity that he engaged in in connection with the case, he lost by forfeit. That's how bad he was. And I say all that because even though his trial doesn't come until December and could get continued, At some point between now and September, he's likely to be placed under oath. And if he behaves in this setting the way he behaved in the other setting, you're going to have a problem if you're Antonio Brown's NFL employer. And once that transcript gets out, once that video gets out, once the league catches wind of it, things could change and his availability may change. And then you always have to worry about the commissioner exempt list and you may be paying a guy to not play for you. I think that... The people who understand 
how the legal system works, and I would say most, if not all, teams understand because they got lawyers on staff to explain this to them, they realize there's risk in having real money tied up in Antonio Brown because depending upon how that deposition goes, he may not be available to anyone this season, Miles. Yeah, and I think that when you put it like that, it almost makes me think, well, is that why he's still on the market? Because people will have to understand and realize that if something like this were to happen, right, where the deposition happens and then the deposition comes out and it turns out that Antonio Brown has uh, reverted back to his former self and, you know, not uh, applied the better angels that have been in his ear, um, that could really be a problem. It could at least, at the very least, it could be a PR problem for a team, you know, and at the, you know, the most, it could be a field problem, an on-field problem, because they're not going to be able to have Antonio Brown available to them. So I think that that should be in the minds of teams right now as they're going through free agency. Should be in the Buccaneers' mind, frankly, as they're going through their process too. But I think if any team probably knows where he's at at this point in this moment in time, it's the Buccaneers. So that may or may not make them more comfortable with the situation, Mike. Yeah, and uh, look, they they really don't need him. I hate to say that, but they don't yeah. need him. They don't. They don't. They have Mike Evans. They have Chris Godwin. They have Tyler Johnson. They have Scotty Miller. They do not need Antonio Brown, and they could go draft a guy in round four or five who could come in and be just like Tyler Johnson was and be ready to go. All right, T.Y. Hilton re-signs with the Indianapolis Colts. They now have Carson Wentz, and T.Y. Hilton meeting with the media today and asked a question about the team's new quarterback. What have your conversations been like with Carson uh, over the last couple of weeks, and, and what excites you about getting to work with him going forward? Uh, we've been we've been um, talking since you know uh, he he's, uh, we we got him here, so uh, you no, know, he just wanted to um, be able to uh, play football with me, and you know we just constantly texting, and he was just always there with, throughout the free agency. Uh, man, I hope we can get you here, man. I, I want you to stay here. I want to be able to um, throw passes to you, and just constantly, you know. Us want to get together and just and just play. So, you know, I look forward to it and uh, should be fun. What do you know about his skill set as a, a quarterback that he can bring to your offense? Uh, he has some um, Andrew Luck traits, man. You know, he's could get out of the pocket, uh, make make the incredible throws. You know, he, he's a special talent, man. Especially when he's standing up in the pocket, delivering throws, and his ability to uh, avoid guys and make plays with his legs or with his arms. So, uh, he's he's a special talent. I have to give Josh Alper credit for this. I think he's the one that had the line about the Andrew Luck traits for Carson Wentz. And, yes. and I, 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 this is one that I wish I had thought of. His question was, here it is, frequently injured, quit on his team, checks out. So, <laughs> Josh Alper, ladies and gentlemen. Um, so, uh, anyway, I, hey, the Colts, if Carson Wentz gets back to being the guy he was pre-2020, they could be really good this year. There were high expectations for them last year. Then once we got to the season, it was kind of up, kind of down. They got to the playoffs. They gave the Bills everything they could handle. They, they could be the division champions this year. They could be a really good team. And if Wentz works out, yeah, yeah, the Colts are a team that could crowd into that presumption that it's going to be Chiefs, Ravens, Bills at the top of the conference. I, I like what T.Y. Hilton said, and I'll tell you why. Because... He's almost just gassing up the QB. And I think that that's a good thing to do sometimes, especially when, you know, you know that the QB has had a bit of a loss of confidence. Carson Wentz is coming in. They've been trying to text and, you know, establish a little bit of bro chemistry before they ever even get out on the field. So I get that. And, you know, it's not entirely far-fetched what he was saying about Andrew Luck traits. I mean, what? Traits is like a very, very non-specific word. So when he's saying that, yeah, he could get out of the pocket and make some really good throws, we've seen Carson Wentz do that in the past. Now, I've been as critical as anybody of Carson Wentz's 2020 season. I think he had one of the worst seasons that you can possibly have as a quarterback when you take 50 sacks in only 12 games. That's four sacks a game. That's one of those at least is on the QB per game. So it's not just that he can get out of the pocket and make throws. He's got to actually know when he has a play to make and get rid of the ball a little bit sooner. But if you're going to gas up your QB, why not? You know, he's been good in the past. We'll see if Frank Wright can recapture that magic now. T.Y. Hilton stays with the Colts. Todd Hurley, a free agent, 
Todd who White played now? with the Falcons last year. They're not bringing him back. Todd Gurley claims. Todd Gurley. Did I say Todd O'Hurley? Todd Gurley. <laughs> you did. You at least Todd said Hurley. Hurley. Todd Hurley. Yeah. Todd Gurley. Can I just say this? They know who we mean. Todd Gurley, mm. a free agent. And he claims, claims via Twitter, Miles, he's about to sign with a new team. I am suspicious because it's April Fool's Day, and I have seen this movie before. I recall that Greg Jennings played an April Fool's Day gag like this. This is the very convenient, look at me, I'm out here, and if anyone says, oh, you're just looking for attention, oh, no, it's an April Fool's Day gag. Don't you have a sense of humor? So I frankly am surprised Richard Sherman didn't already think of this because this is right up his alley, too. But, but did I say that? Are we on the air? But anyway, I'm skeptical. I'm skeptical about Todd Gurley's tweet. I think it's an April Fool's Day gag, and it's all done under the guise of, hey, anyone out there who's looking for a running back, please be advised that I'm still available to be signed. Okay, I like Todd. I worked with Todd for years with the Rams, so I feel like I have to say that before I say this. I don't really know what Todd Gurley's market is, so I kind of feel like you're right. It's almost like he's trying to drum up interest for himself, which... I kind of respect the hustle, but I also feel like, mm, like if you really were about to sign with the team, why wouldn't you just tweet out a picture of yourself in the jersey like George Kittle did for an April Fool's joke? I don't know about all that. Now, I believe firmly it's an April Fool's Day gag, and it's quite possible by the time the show's over, he will have admitted it once he has exhausted the full complement of attention that he has received from that. And, and look, it, it just shows you how. And this gets back to one of my points I always make, and we got to take a break, but... Get paid what you can while you can. Good for Todd Gurley to get the contract he got from the Rams. Bad for the Rams to give it to him. But that that window of opportunity to get a high-end salary in the NFL does not last for very long. And here we are just three years removed from Gurley getting that big money. And there's nothing out there for Todd Gurley. Let's take a break with... P, uh, with uh, free agency now a few weeks into the books, a lot of coaches feeling good about their teams. We're going to do a draft, a morning-style draft on the afternoon show of the coaches most rejuvenated or who at least should feel the most rejuvenated by the moves their teams have made. We'll do that when PFTPM continues right after this. Yeah, I mean, when we looked at, you know, the defense um, and after the season evaluated, you know, it was it was pretty barren in there. And so we had to address that. And, you know, honestly, at the end of the season, I was kind of down in the dumps when I kept looking at the, at the depth chart and knowing what kind of uh, salary cap space we had. Um, and so, you know, like I said, Rob's done an up and Rick have done an unbelievable job doing that. And um, they've got me regener- re- rejuvenated. Uh, with the guys that they've brought in and, and the players that they've been to help. And then you've got guys like Anthony Barr who, who you know, he decides to uh, restructure his contra- contract because he wants to be here. Um, you got guys that, like Stephen Weatherly and McKenzie and, you know, a lot of these other guys that, that really want to be here and Patrick Peterson. And so, um, you know, those, those kind of things get me excited. Mike Zimmer, Vikings head coach, rejuvenated by the things they've done on the defensive side of the ball. I I don't know that it will matter much if the left side of the offensive line is constantly caved in on Kirk Cousins because Riley Reef was cut. They better have a plan at left tackle. But we're going to do a draft on this Thursday edition of PFTPM of coaches who should feel rejuvenated based upon what's happened so far in free agency. Miles, because I'm in a semi-good mood and the full effects of the second COVID vaccine have yet to reach me, I'll give you the first pick. Well, it was a good mood, you know, the first segment of the show. And I guess over the last 35, 36 minutes, being around me has just brought that down. But I love the first pick because I'm going to take Bill Belichick, because I think that if anybody should feel rejuvenated, it should be him. Look, Bill Belichick has not done this in free agency. We saw Robert Kraft say this to Peter King that, you know, usually all the teams that spend a lot of money in free agency, the Patriots sit back and they start laughing. But this year they didn't. You look at what they've done and they got the graphic up right there. Look, Matthew Judon, another guy that, you know what, he's got 34 and a half career sacks. 
somebody that can be productive. I think all the things that they've also done offensively, when you talk about getting two real productive tight ends and Joni Smith and Hunter Henry, you sign somebody else like Nelson Aguilar, Kendrick Bourne, all those guys, it's really lining up at least for them at this point to be much better than they were at seven and nine um, right there in the 2020 season. Now, this year they could, you know, get above that 500 mark. Maybe they, it just ends up that they are nine and eight, but they could also be 10 and seven, perhaps even 11 and six. I don't know, but I just feel like at this point with the moves that they've made in free agency so far in this off season so far, Bill Belichick should definitely feel rejuvenated. And, and it's it's weird to think that because basically he's cleaning up his own mess. It's his own fault <laughs> that he needed to get rejuvenated because they've done such a poor job drafting in recent years, as his boss, Robert Kraft, said yesterday. And uh, they're hoping to have a better draft, and they clearly have made an impact in free agency. I'm going to go Sean McVay, the Rams coach. He's made plenty of messes in L.A., given out contracts he shouldn't have given out to guys like Todd Gurley and Jared Goff. They dumped Goff, tucked him into that Matthew Stafford trade, so it wasn't obviously a Brock Osweiler hot potato move, which it was. They get Matthew Stafford. They add Deshaun Jackson. For the two games he's healthy enough to play, he should make a real difference. But, and I'm just I'm kidding. If he can stay healthy, he will make a, a huge difference with a downfield threat. And even if he doesn't play a game, even if he doesn't play a game, Matthew Stafford makes the Rams better. They've still got an awesome defense. And in the toughest division in football, given the extent to which Jared Goff had to have driven Sean McVay crazy the past couple of years, McVay's got to be feeling a lot better about the quarterback that he has. You know, I've heard people say that that Stafford is a level above Goff. He's more than a level above Goff in my mind. Oh, you mean Michael Brockers, who now had to apologize for that uh, because yes. he and Jared Goff are teammates again? Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think Sean McVay should definitely feel rejuvenated, and he's probably somewhere in Southern California in the lab uh, cooking up plays that will also beat zone coverages because they'll be able to do that. Uh, now, I think the next person is still in California, but because he can get his quarterback of the future, I think it's got to be Kyle Shanahan. He's got to be feeling very rejuvenated probably because they have now traded up to number three overall. They're going to be able to get somebody who they really believe in as a passer. And I think the nice thing has been that they are not really shy about the fact that what they have done is to go up to trade for a QB. And I think whenever you're in year four, year five, as Kyle Shanahan is getting into now, and you don't have that solid franchise quarterback, you know you need to get one. And clearly they have evaluated it that Jimmy Garoppolo is not that guy. And I think, Mike, you and I both agree that by week one, Jimmy Garoppolo will probably be elsewhere, so he could be somebody else's quarterback of the future. But the San Francisco 49ers quarterback of the future is probably going to come from this number three overall pick. You know, Cleveland's not that far away. <laughs> I, 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 it, when you least expect it, expect it, Miles. I'll go with the low hanging, Mike. I'll go with the low hanging fruit here of Mike Zimmer uh, because he's a defensive guy. He's an old school defensive guy, and his secondary, specifically his corners, were so bad last year. And they tied up all that money in Anthony Harris as a franchise player at safety after they had groomed him from undrafted into a guy that they thought enough of to apply the franchise tag. And last year he just wasn't very good. Those new bodies in the back end of the defense will will make him happy. Now, he still needs a pass rush, and he's got to get this all figured out with Daniel Hunter, and he seems to think that it is. But uh, to the extent that the pass rush will struggle, they'll have better options behind the pass rush to try to keep receivers from running free, which we saw all too often. Also, the notion that there probably will be fans this year at U.S. Bank Stadium, even if it's not full, some fans – better than zero fans, which makes it hard for the Vikings to have a home field advantage. No doubt. That is one of the best uh, game day environments that there is in the NFL. The skull chant uh, right before kickoff is one of the most fun things. And also when they score touchdowns and it sounds like there are explosions going off before they blast Prince's let's go crazy. That scares me every time I'm in the press box, but it's also very fun. Um, all right. Next person, uh, since we were told that we could choose coordinators, you know, you chose Sean McVay. I'll go with somebody else from the Rams and that's Raheem Morris. And I think he should feel pretty rejuvenated because you know, last year he's 
started out as the Atlanta Falcons defensive coordinator, then got elevated to interim head coach once Dan Quinn got fired. That could be tough on anybody, but I think it also would rejuvenate anybody when you then go over to the Los Angeles Rams and become the defensive coordinator of what was the number one defense in football last year in both points allowed and yards allowed. And you get to coach Aaron Donald and Jalen Ramsey. They just signed Leonard Floyd too to a long-term deal. So if anybody is a coordinator and should feel rejuvenated, I would believe it should be Raheem Morris. He has a chance to take over a great defense. I've got a coordinator too. And I would have, gone with this one earlier but once you went with Belichick I knew you wouldn't take this next guy this is my final pick the final pick of the draft I'm going Josh McDaniels I think McDaniels has even more reason to feel rejuvenated than Belichick because McDaniels didn't make the mess McDaniels didn't run off Tom Brady McDaniels didn't draft all those crappy skill position players all due respect to the individuals who were selected McDaniels is just trying to make chicken salad out of the chicken crap that Belichick and Nick Casario had given him in recent years and I'm sure at some point he thought I didn't go to Indianapolis for this now he's got a chance to become an offensive genius again I mean isn't it amazing Miles the way that the NFL hiring cycle works that If you're the coordinator of a great offense on a winning team, you're one hell of a coach. But the minute that that team has bad players and isn't winning, you forgot how to coach. And and I know that, that leaving the Colts at the altar is something that McDaniels is having a hard time living down and it's keeping teams from pursuing him. But I guarantee you that if the Patriots of 2021 have an offense like the Patriots of 2007, McDaniels is going to be at the top of the A list when it's time to look for coaches next year. So he's definitely rejuvenated in more ways than one because now he may have a chance to get real consideration to be a head coach. I mean, he lost a a face-off this year with Nick Sirianni in Philly and last year with Kevin Stefanski in Cleveland, two guys who, who have far less experience and success than him. Well, I think, look, for the Browns, we can say that it certainly worked out for them. Jury is certainly still out on Nick Sirianni. But I think you make a good point with Josh McDaniels. It's just that who is their quarterback of the present, let alone the future, right? I I feel like if we have somebody in Cam Newton that, you know, we know has some struggles throwing the football, then I don't necessarily know that he's going to be able to be that guy that gets them through all 16 games. We've both mentioned Jimmy Garoppolo being a quarterback of the future candidate for the New England Patriots. I just feel like that's something that could happen whether or not it's Jimmy Garoppolo gets traded from San Francisco or he just eventually gets released before week one. But yeah, they've got to figure out who that quarterback of the future is going to be. I'm sorry. I, I can't even it's hold just, it anymore. Will you please stop it? And, and you, you know, you mentioned Jimmy Garoppolo. If I was a Patriots fan, I, I assume you're being egged on by Matt Casey. If I was a Patriots fan, I would not want anything to do with Jimmy Garoppolo. I'm sorry. The guy's made plenty of money. Do not feel badly. For Jimmy Garoppolo, he's had his chance and it hasn't worked because the guy can't stay healthy. I am not casting my lot. I am not risking my future. I am not pinning my hopes to a guy who can't stay healthy at the one position other than punter and kicker that is protected more than any other by the rules against against contact. And as Sim says all the time, Garoppolo doesn't have the, the he's not sufficiently, you know, he's in great shape, but he's not sufficiently fleet of foot to get out of harm's way. And he doesn't make the best decisions. He, he, he injured himself trying to be tough guy on the sideline and dropping the shoulder into the chief defensive back and tearing his ACL. I don't want anything to do with Jimmy Garoppolo if, if I'm a fan base and he's an option to be a starting quarterback because he's going to play and he's going to look good and then he's going to get hurt and you're going to be, you know, stuck with Nick Mullins or C.J. Beathard, all due respect to them. All right, let's take a break. When we return, it's mailbag time on this Thursday edition of PFT PM. We will be right back. I don't think if you look at my birth certificate that you could tell that I'm 31 years old. You know, unless you look at my birth certificate, you can't tell I'm 31. By the way, I play, by the way, I run, by the way, I move. You know what I mean? So um, I feel like my game uh, still has a lot, 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 lot left in the tank, and um, I'm excited to go out there and prove that. That's Texans running back Mark Ingram earlier this week. That was not a deep fake video. He said what he said. Miles posts a story at PFT, which is what we do. Athletes say things that are interesting, and we post them and tweet them. And Mark Ingram responds. 
saying, I see Miles was bored today. Laugh till you cry emoji, shrug emoji. So I just think, I, I love Mark Ingram. I think he was just having some fun. I mean, the bottom line is he said what he said. And, you know, another running back who's been around for a while, who who believes in himself. I, I got nothing wrong with confidence. You got to have confidence or you got no business going out onto that field and risking your life and limb in, in a, a violent sport like football. And he's got that confidence. He can still do it, Miles. I'm glad that it seems that he took uh, that article in stride, you know, because it's not like he seemed like he wanted to come after me. Like, oh, Miles was bored today. I wouldn't say that I was bored. I would say that I was just doing my job, sir. It's not like you didn't say it. So there. But nice kitchen, by the way, since we got to see that and, in the and, Zoom. And, and I think I think he, he meant it in good fun. Uh, yeah. Based on the time I've been around him and dealt with him, I, th- I don't think he was if, – if he if he had a hostile message for you, the hostility would have been far more obvious than what we saw yeah. in that tweet. All right, other, other tweets we have seen today as we ask for questions that we can try to answer, keywords try. At Fayed2, do you think Michael Thomas is going to have a bounce-back year, Miles? Remember, it, in 2019, it was 149 catches, single-season record. Last year had that badly sprained ankle in garbage time of week one win over the Buccaneers, and then there was issues with a, a, a paid suspension and chatter about possibly being traded. His agents were trying to stir up interest in someone to trade for him. That is a fact. Do you think he bounces back this year? I think it depends on who his quarterback is, because if it's Taysom Hill, I'm not confident that that offense is going to resemble anything that we really saw with Drew Brees. I think it's going to be more run heavy. I think that, you know, they're going to probably do things on the inside a little bit more. And I know that Michael Thomas has done a great job of catching things closer to the line of scrimmage and then getting yards after the catch. But like... I don't know, man. If Jameis Winston is the quarterback, I would feel a lot better about it because I think that Jameis Winston has shown a much better penchant for being a quarterback who throws than Taysom Hill. I think he's a quarterback who runs and happens to throw when he needs to. But I I sort of anticipate Jameis Winston will be the quarterback, but because we don't know, I feel like it's hard to answer that question. Yeah, I think you're right. It all depends upon what the offense is going to look like, which depends on which guy is the quarterback. Now, there's no reason to think Michael Thomas is going to be injured all year again, but he's going to feel the pressure. And and I think it's actually it's better than last year because last year he goes into the season, he wants to do more than 149. Well, it was hard enough to get to 149. Just, just enjoy that you got to 149. You ain't getting to 150. And even with an extra game this year, don't worry about how many balls you catch. Worry about a team that maybe can be better offensively at stretching the field, forcing defenses to defend all of the field. Uh, and, and if that can open up the offense it may be easier for Michael Thomas to not just catch you know 10 yard pass but maybe get the ball in his hands and do more damage with and have more yards and more touchdowns and forget about the number of catches Jay Carm will Julian Edelman be on the Patriots week one roster is he sneaky cut candidate his dead cap hit wouldn't be that bad Uh, I'm not sure that physically Julian Edelman is good to go with that knee problem and, and I also can't help but wonder, Miles, at some level, whether or not he's feeling like a bat signal to Tampa to join Gronk and Tom Brady down there for another championship run. And uh, not that they need him, but I'm sure Tom Brady would love to have him around if he could get him. That, that one has just kind of been lurking as a possibility for me, but it just feels like Julian Edelman is getting dangerously close to the end of the road. Yeah, and I think the injury situation is probably more concerning than, you know, a cut situation because he has a salary and then the dead cap isn't that much. I also totally agree with you on the whole bet signal to Tampa Bay thing. Like, I think that clearly they they don't need him. You know, we were just talking about how they don't really need Antonio Brown. But if you have somebody like Julian Edelman who has the built-in chemistry already with Tom Brady and has, you know, that experience of winning championships – I think that it makes sense for him to try to get one last ride with Brady if he can. Um, they obviously let Gronkowski do that last year when they traded him because Gronk was still under contract when he retired. Uh, would the Patriots love to do that? Probably not. But, you know, if Tampa Bay is like, hey, you know, we'll give you a fifth-round pick or something for Julian Edelman, then I think the Patriots might be able to be convinced to do that. 
One more before we take a quick break. Mike D. Finns, UK, with the possibility of five quarterbacks going early in the first round. Is it the quarterbacks who are getting more talented or is playing the position getting easier? Miles, let me try this one very concisely. I don't think it's either. I think it's that coaches are letting great college quarterbacks do at the NFL level what they did at the college level. They're not dramatically changing the offense. And also, I, I just think the fact that so many great quarterbacks are making their way into college. They're getting so many reps in seven-on-seven camps. It's easier to scout the quarterbacks. It's not as much of a roll of the dice as it used to be in finding guys who can come in and play. And I think the teams are doing a better job of separating the best of the best from the guys who are just okay. It's easier to train the quarterbacks because these guys who are QBs, they are built to be QBs of the future from a very young age. I think that when they start going to these camps, that's when they really start seeing it. And then when they finally get to the league, it's like, you know, <laughs> I'm sorry, I did it again. What? I know. What? When they finally get to the league. I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, exactly. I uh, know it's a pretty good book I've heard. Uh, but when they finally get to the league, then that's when they're able to really show what they can do. And guys know already that they have a lot of talent. So I think the other part of it is just the contract situations and how teams have to get this quarterback right really quickly, because otherwise they're going to be replaced in the regimes, whether it's the head coach or the general manager. You basically have three years to prove that you got your quarterback right. And if you can't do it within that time frame, then they're going to move on. So I think that that kind of priority that you have to place on the QB position means that you need to draft one that you believe in. It's easier to do that if you get there early. All right, quick break. When we return, an unexpected rule proposal from the Chiefs that has plenty of NFL players excited, and it has Miles pissed off. We'll talk about that when PFTPM continues right after this. The Kansas City Chiefs have proposed a rule that if passed by the NFL, and it takes 24 teams to say yes, would allow a multitude of players to wear single-digit numbers. Running backs, linebackers, defensive backs, also receivers and tight ends. Miles took to Twitter to say he doesn't like it. Call me old-fashioned, but double thumbs down emoji. Well, I'll tell you who does like it, Miles. About a dozen different players have sounded off who would have the opportunity to to wear single-digit numbers. And I remember there was a push by Mike Ornstein, who was Reggie Bush's marketing agent back in 2006, to get the NFL to change the rule then so Reggie could wear number five. He wanted to wear number five, and Ornstein tried and tried, and the NFL said no. Now the NFL may say yes. Well, I would say no. Listen, I understand that players want to have fun. They want to do all this and that. But we have to have some sort of order here, okay? Because when I look at a number, I want to be able to know what position that you're playing. It's already bad enough that they've let linebackers wear the 40s numbers. And it's not just going to be me. It's going to be the photographers. Won't somebody think of the photographers? They won't know what to do. Oh, yes, they will. I look forward to the day that there will be a running back, a receiver, a tight end, a defensive back, or a linebacker in Minnesota wearing. Get rid of that. We want a new number eight. A new number eight in Minnesota. Sorry, Kirk. See you tomorrow. Shut up, Casey. Bye.